You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, He. The scriptures speak of a day when Christ will return and rule and reign as King. A day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In this teaching, we'll be asking the question, are you ready for His return? Easter is a day for us that we celebrate uh, God's Son, Jesus, rising from the grave to offer us forgiveness, to offer us a relationship with God. And, and for me, Easter is so fascinating on a number of levels. Um, just on a scientific level, it's fascinating. On a theological level, on a philosophical level, it's fascinating. But, but another one of the reasons why it's fascinating for me is because I think of the stark contrast between death and life. You know what I mean? I mean, just a few days ago, we were mourning slash celebrating what we classically call Good Friday. And the reason that it's a Good Friday is because we know Sunday's coming. Amen? Good Friday is the day where we, we respectfully remember Jesus Christ dying for us, being crucified. But then Sunday is the day that we remember his resurrection. So death to life, death to life. Easter is such in an interesting time because it really represents this transition from death to life, death to life, death to life. You know, I woke up this morning excited to celebrate life. I woke up this morning excited to get with our church family, our church body and worship Jesus and to celebrate the life. But even this morning, I was reminded about the, the contrast between death to life because as I'm texting friends and family across the nation, I had a message that popped up from a friend that said, did you hear about what happened to the churches in Sri Lanka? The bombings that took place while Christian men and women and children were gathering together to to worship Jesus Christ. Over 200 of them, their lives lost. The contrast is so thin. The difference is a narrow margin, death to life, death. To life. I remember one of the first times when this is the most evident to me. I was about 14 years old, and one of my friends lost their life. He had an accidental OD at just 15 years of age. Didn't know what he was doing. Him and his buddies, him and some of his brothers, and he lost his life. Popular guy, played basketball with him, went to church with him. He was a friend. I remember getting home from school and my dad pulling me aside and said, hey, buddy, I, I wanted to tell you something that's going to be really hard to hear. So-and-so died today. And that, that was so weird to me. I mean, I was used to death. My dad's a pastor. I'd gone to many funerals, but this was my friend. I mean, just a few years previous to that, I lost my grandmother. That was really the first time I ever lost somebody I was close to. I saw cancer take her from us. But this was somebody like, I did everyday life with, you know? Because he was a teenager, because he was a student, because he was popular, his funeral was massive. Over a thousand students, a thousand people showed up, crammed into this church. I remember being so strange. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral before like this. It just seems so surreal. Do you know what I mean? It's like one of those moments where you're like, is this actually happening? Is this actually happening? As I walked up to the casket, I... I saw my friend. He looked like he was just sleeping. He looked, looked alive. You know what I mean? Like his hair was the same. His, his face was the same. His, his, 
even his clothes. I recognized his clothing. And I, and I had this moment where I was just like, just get up. Just, just get up. I've been thinking that moment, I, I even prayed, God, would you just bring my friend back? Would you just, would you just make him get up? Driving home with my parents, I was so frustrated. And I don't know if I was frustrated with God or frustrated with, with, my, with my friend who died. I don't know if I was frustrated with just death itself, but I, but I found it so frustrating that death exists. Why? Why is it that death has a right to take loved ones? Why is it that death takes people that we care about? Why did God even allow death to be in our world to begin with? If God is a good and loving God, why death? How's that even fair? I learned from scripture that death was not in God's original design. Death was not something that God intended for us to live with. In fact, we read in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, death spread to all men because all sinned. Makes death sound like a plague, doesn't it? Makes death sound like a cancer. It's spreading, and there's nothing that we can do to stop it because we have sinned. Paul, the author of Romans, writing to the Roman church here, he's talking about Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. God reached down his hand into the dirt. We believe that he created this dirt and he, he breathed life into this dirt and out came a man. And this man and this woman, Adam and Eve, get this, they were one with God. One with God in a way that we've never been one with God. They walked with him, talked with them. Can you imagine walking and talking with the God who created you. Adam and Eve were sinless until they felt a temptation. And being tempted, they sinned. And as a result of that sin, death entered into our world. But once again, why? Why? Why death? Why did death come into the world that knew no death? The fact is, when you examine the holiness of God, a God so perfect, a God so supreme, a God so beyond our understanding. It makes sense. Because sin requires a payment. And it requires a payment because sin is an offense to God. And so when somebody sins, when there is sin, there has to be something that appeases a holy God. A payment must be made. Paul goes on in chapter six of Romans. He says the wages of sin or the payment for sin is what? Death. He says it like this. For the wages of sin, the payment of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word wages means payment. And so that the, what the writer was saying, that a payment for sin is death, the payment for sin. And by the way, good news, this is why we celebrate Easter, Yes. This is why we celebrate. This is why we gather. This is why we shout. This is why we clap. This is why we get together and say, this day is different. 
It's a day that we celebrate the fact that God looked down and said, I can take this, this, this no longer. I'm going to enact my rescue mission in sending Jesus Christ to walk this earth, fully God, fully man, picks up his cross, walks it up the hill, is nailed to it, and dies for our sin. He who knew no sin, and he became sin for us. He became sin for us. Yes? I mean, that's what I was raised to understand, too. I mean, that's the understanding I had being raised. But I found out it's actually not so cut and dry. It's not actually that cut and dry. Not at all. Let me explain. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says this, starting verse 21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or maybe you've heard it stated, he who knew no sin became sin. So here's the question. Are you with me this morning? Yes, are you listening? Okay, listen. Here's a very important question for us. If Jesus was to be the perfect sacrifice, Scripture claims that. Perfect sacrifice. If Jesus was to be the spotless lamb, as Scripture claims him to be, in order to pay for all the world's sin, listen now. The moment that Jesus became sin, wouldn't that have made him a sinner? Mm. We got quiet. <laughs> the moment that Jesus became sin for us, wouldn't that have made him a sinner? How could the death of anyone short of sinless be an adequate payment for any sin, let alone my sin, let alone your sin, let alone the sin of the world? The answer, it can't. It can't. And the reason is because God is God. God is God, and God won't go against what he has said. The payment for sin is always death. The payment for sin is always death. God won't break his own law even to save his own son. Understand me? There's this idea that God broke the law for love. No, God will not break the law even for his own son, even for Jesus. Because if God were to break his own law, he would cease to be God. And because it would be an offense unto himself. Do you understand? And because God is truth and God is perfect, God will not break what he has previously established, which means if there is sin, there must be a penalty for death. The fact is, Jesus didn't become sin. He didn't become sin. And maybe the way that you think he became sin. Sin was actually what, what we use here, the word theologically, sin was imputed onto Christ. See, this verse, I don't know if you realize this or not, the Bible wasn't written in English. Do you know that? I don't know if you knew that or not. Part of it in Hebrew, part of it in Greek, another part of Greek as well. And in the Greek in this verse, it's actually talking about the fact that Jesus, when it says he became sin, it's actually in Greek saying that he became the sin offering. He, he took our sin. It was imputed onto him. That is to say that God counted our sin as Jesus' sin. That's what imputation means. That's what imputed means. Turn to your neighbor and say imputed. See, if, you, if I were to pay for your, if I were to impute your mortgage, it would mean that I would take on the payment of your mortgage as if it were on, uh, as if it were on me. 
As parents, we're used to this. How many of you had teenagers that drive? They impute your vehicle. Even though it is not their vehicle, they drive it as if it were. Amen? Exactly. And so we understand this. And so in the same way, our sin was imputed onto Jesus Christ. And what's so amazing about this, listen now, is found in the rest of this verse. Found in the rest of this verse. Look at what scripture says here. Look at, look at, look at. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, imputed sin. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God, imputed righteousness. Listen now, if you don't get anything else, the imputation of sin on Jesus is what allows the imputation of righteousness on us. Come on, the imputation of sin on Jesus, my sin, counted as his, is what allows me to say that I am righteous and holy before a perfect, of God, perfect God. It's not that I am good. It's not that I've done enough good. It's that Jesus' righteousness, because of his death and burial and resurrection on the cross, his righteousness is now counted as my righteousness because my sin was counted as his sin. Do we understand the implications of that? Yeah. Listen, this is why we get excited. This is the good news part. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. It's the gospel that says there's nothing you can do to take you too far from God. There's no sin that you can sin that is outside of his reach. And you say, how can that be? I'll tell you how that can be. Because before the very foundation of this earth was even laid, God knew you and he called you by name. Before you were even born, your sin, each and every one of them, was paid in full, imputed onto Jesus Christ, placed on his shoulders. He died and rose again. That's the good news. That's the great news. Your sin does not surprise Jesus. It's not like God's in heaven. Looks down, he's like, whoa, didn't see that one coming. Wow, you really pushed the limit there. Your sin's already been paid for. It's been paid for. It's been bought. It's been bought. It's a beautiful thing. But I think there's something else here that we oftentimes miss. Maybe something a little bit even more significant, if, 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 if it could be possible. Hang with me. We've learned this so far. If you sin, then you die. Not like immediately, probably, right? It's not like if you steal a Kit Kat bar, you're gonna get zapped by lightning, right? Okay, trust me. Um, I've seen people do it. What are you, what are you laughing at me for? <laughs> but all sin requires a penalty, uh, requires a payment, which is, which is death. Maybe not immediately, but the payment for sin is death. God said this from the very beginning. Just kind of backtrack a little bit. God said this from the very beginning. Adam and Eve sinned, and because they sinned, death entered into the world. God won't change that. We've established, correct? He won't change that. Why? Because God is truth, and God is sinless, and so therefore God must hold true to his word. We affirm? Yes? Okay. So when we sin, get this now, get this, get, get, get this. This is so good. When we sin, death Legally, when I say death legally, what's that mean? Legally, that means it's acting within the bounds and the parameters that God has established. Death legally has rights to us when we sin. Death can legally take us, legally and rightfully. Why? Because God said so. 
because the payment for sin is death. Therefore, when we sin, death has rights to us. Are you with me? Because here's where it gets interesting. Jesus never sinned. Not even once. I mean, we just established the fact that even when dying for our sin, even in dying for our sin, he did not sin. So what gave death the right to claim Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. See, I was raised hearing this phrase, and it feels good to say it, that Jesus cheated death. You ever raised hearing that? Jesus cheated the grave. Jesus cheated death. But I want you to know that could not be further from the truth. Jesus didn't cheat death. Death cheated Jesus. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't cheat death. Death cheated Jesus. And because death cheated, because death took something that wasn't rightfully within its power to take, because death had no business taking the life of Christ, death had no right to hold him in the grave. Do you understand the implications of that? Because death worked outside of the boundaries of the God of the universe, the rules that he established, God was able to, or allowed to, work within his own parameters to raise Jesus from the grave. See, I often thought, I, wrote, I, 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 I grew up thinking that God just like strong-armed Jesus back from the grave. Like, oh, you're gonna kill my son? Well, guess what I'm God? I'll just bring him back. But that's not what happened. Death had no right to claim the life of Jesus because Jesus was sinless. And the reason for death is sin. Death is the penalty that we pay because of sin and our sin nature. Here's what's fascinating about that. Whenever there is sin, there must be a penalty, which is death. So even death is not outside of God's judgment. Therefore, death must die. Death stepped outside of its parameters, took something that did not belong to it, couldn't hold it, but was an offense to God. Therefore, death must, must die. Now, I know this sounds a little strange until you read through the book of Revelation. Chapter 20 says this. Look at this, starting in verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, for his presence, earth, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. This is the day where we gather to be judged by God, those who, who are far from Christ. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Look at this now, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, which is hell. Death and hell gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Did, did you get that? Did you see that? Did you see verse 14? Let me just say it again. Look at this, verse 14. Then death is thrown into the lake of fire. Death 
dies. Death is done away with, and it's done away with because it violated God's order in taking Jesus who is without sin. Why is this such a big deal? Because we have been missing half of the implications of all the verses we've been reading. Second Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. Think about it from this perspective now, where it says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Most of your life, you've been reading that verse, thinking it just had to do with Jesus getting up out of the grave. No, 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 no. The implications are far greater because in that moment, Jesus did not cheat death. He conquered the grave in one moment for all time, for every man, for every woman, so that death would be no more. Jesus is not a grave robber. He is a death slayer. And that is the power of the gospel. Listen, First, 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 second Timothy one says, Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Isaiah 25 says, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. Jesus completely and utterly conquered death itself. Had Jesus sinned even once, that would have been it. I mean, that would have been it. There would have been no chance of a resurrection. And had there not been a chance for a resurrection, there would not have been any hope for us. But Jesus didn't sin, did he? Jesus didn't. And because he didn't sin, we can know life. We can be made truly alive. And we can know the God who created us. I speak to so many people, listen now, I speak to so many people who are banking or hoping or leaning into the fact that they will, quote, get into heaven because they've been a good person. I've given to charities, I've gone to church, I've gone on a missions trip, I've been a decent person, I've never killed anybody. <laughs> We're using the wrong language. It's not about good or bad. It's not even about good enough or too bad. It's about imputed righteousness. Has God's righteousness been counted over your life? And no amount of money can get that for you. No amount of good living can get that for you. No amount of missions trips or showing up to church or teaching a Sunday school or not cussing in traffic no amount of buying cups of coffee for strangers can do that for you. No amount. Scripture tells us in the book of Romans 10, chapter 10, it says, the only thing that will save you is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And it goes on to say, when you do this, you will be saved. Okay, Travis, it's, there's no way it's that easy. There's no way that scripture's lying. God didn't shift the universe, send his son 
into the world that he created. Bear the weight of a cross. Have our sins imputed upon him. Die, go to hell, rise again, just to make it difficult for you to believe in him. It is that easy. It is that simple. The reason you think it's not is because you might have bought into religion. But Jesus never came to institute a religion. Listen to me now. He came to institute a new relationship, one between you and your creator. Haven't you felt that longing? Haven't you? The fact that nothing satisfies. The fact that nothing fulfills totally. Like it's like we get so far and then we hit this lid, but we know there's more and we can't get to it. It's because you were created to be one with your creator. You were created to be one with the God of the universe. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the only way to have it credited towards your righteousness is through the belief that God has raised Jesus from the grave. In the end, the very thing that you are called to believe is the very thing and the only thing that has the power to save us. And just as Jesus did rise from the grave, I'm letting you know that he will return. And he will call those of us who he calls his children home with him. And we will dwell with him, we will live with him in eternity. In a place where scripture says there will be no more death, there will be no more pain, where he will wipe away every tear, there will be no more cancer, there will be no more any, any, any kind of exclusion, there will be no more racism, there will be no more bigotry, there will be no more hatred. And for those who have given our lives to Jesus, that's where we will dwell in eternity. You say eternity is a long time, not if you kill off death. But for those of us who don't know Jesus, it's not that God doesn't love you. It's just that God can't, God won't break his own law. And if God won't break his law to save his son, what makes you think that God will break his law to pull you into heaven? Good enough won't get you there. More money won't get you there. Scripture says that it's only for those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Scripture says that God is not willing that any should perish. God does not want you to live in an eternity separated from him. God does not want you to live in an eternity separated from him in hell. He does not want that. But hell is the natural place to go if you have lived apart from Jesus your entire life. So this morning, with the understanding that no man knows, according to Luke 12, no man knows the hour that Jesus is going to return, so we must be ready, because he will return. With that understanding, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And this morning, there's no long prayer. There's, there's simply something I want you to say. If you want the salvation, if you want 
Jesus' righteousness imputed onto you. Here's all that's required according to Scripture. Just to yourself, between you and God. Pray with me. Say these words, Jesus, you are Lord. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. That's it. Just say that with me, just in your heart. Confess that with your mouth, Jesus. You are Lord. And I believe that God has raised you from the dead. Jesus, you are Lord. And I believe that God has raised you from the dead. For some of you, it's going to be a declaration because your whole life, people have told you you weren't good enough. Your father left. Your mother was gone. But I'm telling you that you have a new father who will never leave you, who will never forsake you. Jesus, you are Lord. And I believe God has raised you from the dead. Come on now. For some of us this morning might say, okay, this is good, but I need to get some things right before I come to God. No, 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 no. You got it twisted. You don't take a bath to get ready for a shower. You don't get cleaned up to come to God. He's the one who cleans you up. You hear me? And it doesn't matter how dirty, how filthy, how nasty the stuff you've been involved in. It doesn't matter what you've been looking at on your phone. It doesn't matter what you've been doing behind your wife's back. There, there, there is no, no distance that you can run away that is not too far from the arm of God. He will forgive you. He will save you. He will love you. He will call you his own. Pray with me this morning. Jesus, you are Lord. I believe that God has raised you from the dead. Take a moment right now. Cry out to your creator. Just in your own soul. You are here for a reason. You are here for a purpose. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many times you've been married. How many times he's cheated on you. I don't care what you're addicted to. What you're struggling with. None of that matters in this moment. All that matters is you. Jesus, I believe you are Lord. God has raised you from the dead. With your eyes closed, your heads bowed. I'm going to ask them to bring the lights down just a little bit this morning. Listen, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to call you out. I'm not going to do anything like that. Nobody looking around. But if you prayed that prayer this morning, you meant that in your heart. If those words, Jesus, you are Lord and God, God has raised you from the grave, if those words left your lips, were repeated in your soul today, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. When I count to three, I'm going to ask you to turn on your phone and hold it up in the air. Why? Because scripture says that when you come to God, when you come to Christ, you are now the light of the world. And we live in a dark world. We need you to be the light. And we're going to shine like the light. It says you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that can be seen from a, di- a great distance, from far away. So this morning, if you prayed that prayer, if you meant that prayer, if you placed your faith in Jesus, when I count to three, we're going to lift up our phones. And we're going to light up this building. 
Are you ready? One. Two. Come on, turn those phones on. Don't be ashamed. Be bold. Come on. One, two, three. Lift up those phones. Come on. Let's light up this place today. Come on. Come on. Bring down those lights if you could. Bring down our lights. Let's light this place up ourselves. Come on. Lift up those lights. If you prayed and received Jesus Christ this morning, would you just lift up those lights? You are the light of the world. Nothing can hide that from the world. Praise Jesus. Now, for the rest of us who are the light of the world, who know Jesus Christ, would you raise up your lights this morning as well? Come on. For the rest of us who know Jesus, let's join them this morning. Come on, let's light this place up. Come on, don't be ashamed. You are the light of the world. Come on, every single one of us, lift up those phones this morning. Light it up right now, come on. I want you to take a look around this room right now. Just look around. You are not alone. This is a church. We are a body. We are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. A people that cannot be shaken. And we are better when we stand together, amen? Can we celebrate that this morning? Come on, church, I said, can we celebrate our risen Savior? Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.